Kia ora, I'm Alexia Russell and today on The Detail, a triennial election that's been described as one of the most significant democratic processes in New Zealand. We're not talking about the upcoming council elections, we're talking about voting for the country's 2,500 school boards of trustees. But what does a board of trustees do? How much influence does it have? And why this year is there some unease about candidates who may have other agendas? Principals warn the election of trustees who have conspiracy-driven views will be devastating for schools. They're worried about the number of people standing for school boards who are opposed to measures aimed at minimising the spread of COVID-19, such as face masks and vaccinations. Now, a white supremacist jailed two years ago for sharing a video of the Christchurch terror attacks wants to be on the board of a nearby school. COVID sceptic board members are already influencing some schools. RNZ is aware of one that refused to allow on-site COVID vaccinations earlier this year after some trustees said it would show disrespect to unvaccinated families. We want parents there that are there first and foremost uh, because they're passionate about running the best school they can. It's not really designed for people that want to use it as a way of furthering their own political agenda. It's always a worry when you've got people that you think are coming onto a board with an agenda rather than being there to serve the community. Cherie Taylor-Patel is the president of the New Zealand Principals Federation. And people do, from time to time, come on with a really strong view about something particular. And what they learn as governors is that they cannot make an arbitrary decision. They are one person within a board that when a board makes a decision through whatever decision-making processes they make, the board speakers won. So you cannot have your own view out in the community. If the board as a group decides something, then that's what goes out to the community. Um, They also, with something like mask wearing, they potentially would also need to go and survey their community. Now, if their community comes back and, and two-thirds of the community are saying, we want masks to be worn in schools, in actual fact, the board has an obligation to respect the wishes of the community. So there are ways that you know you can provide checks and balances, but all of that creates a lot of work and a lot of extra angst for an issue that For many people, they will think, gosh, that's not the main business. The main business is how do we support students and how do we support their learning? How do we support teachers so that they they can have the best learning days possible? So it can be a real distractor and it can be take time and energy away from the things that matter the most. Education consultant and former principal Tracy Liddell recently spoke to RNZ. It can be an agenda to get rid of the principal. It can be an agenda to get streaming back. It can be an agenda to get rid of all the Maori stuff. It can be wide and varied. It only takes one or two to completely derail a board and a school. So having professional chairs would be awesome. A lot of the issues would be solved right there. When you have got people who who understand governance very well, they often can work through those issues with board members and solve the problems so that they don't tear apart a school. So there definitely is a, I guess, opportunity to consider what would it look like to have uh, professional chairs in the schools. 
nowadays, I, I think there almost are a group out there that are on several different school boards and they almost are like those professional people. They have strong governance background, they have a lot of knowledge and they often are used to troubleshoot where there are um, issues in school communities. Okay, so school boards are about governance, not management. What else is involved? So a school board is elected by the community and they're there to govern a school. And so what that means is they're there to ensure that the school is meeting all the legislative requirements that uh, are expected of them by uh, the ministry and the government. They, within that, there's things like uh, ensuring there's a strategic plan, that there's an annual plan in place. They stay connected with community and make sure that the priorities of the community are reflected in the uh, decisions that they make as a board. So are there statutory requirements governing what they do? Absolutely, and it's quite detailed and there's quite a lot of different areas. There is some change coming with the revision of the Education and Training Act, but generally their job is to ask the principal what is happening in teaching and learning. The principal's job is to say, well, this is what's happening. And their job then is to say, well, how do we know? And the principal's job then is to provide the evidence and say, we know that they're doing well because we have this data that we've collected from term one um, assessments. If it's in an area of uh, finances, the governors will say, so how are we tracking financially? The principal's job is to say, so here is the monthly report and uh, are there any questions? So it's a reciprocal relationship. Um, Everyone knows about the school and what's happening. And in the best case scenario, when you've got high trust, you know, people trust the information they're being given and it's it's given so that everyone stays informed and people are confident that the school is being well run. The job isn't going to make you rich. There's a small meeting stipend, which many members donate back to the school. And it's not one for those helicopter parents who want to make sure their kid's getting the best deal possible. And actually, you don't have to be a parent to get a seat. The thing that is the most important is that they are there to serve the community, to serve the the students and to support the school. That's a really helpful mindset to bring. But other skill sets could be if you have accountants in the community that are really good with bringing extra sources of income into the school, that's a useful thing. If you have people in the community that may have a strong background in building, there may be a lot of property projects. And so it's always helpful to have someone on the board who knows the industry well. And so they can be really helpful with those projects. Other skill sets, you may have a Pacifica initiative that you want to start in your school. So obviously to have uh, members of, you know, your local Pacifica minister on your board for a, for a project would be amazing. To have a, a member of the local iwi or a, a, a kumatawa from the area in your school, they can be, provide enormous insight and support when you are looking to, if you like, develop cultural sustainable practices in your school. So there's a wide range of skills that people can bring and depending on what is happening in the school and what goals you have prioritised, you might um, have, you know, 
it's good to have a mix of people there to support those. Does it give rise to inequities between schools and between socioeconomic areas? For example, would you have you know, a school that has a bunch of lawyers and professional fundraisers compared to a school where the parents are quite pressed and they're doing this in addition to a whole lot of other duties because they have that mana in the community? I would say yes, there, there definitely would be inequities across schools and across communities and you work with who you have. Everyone has the right to stand to be on a board and people do. What happens then though is that the Trustees Association and the school principal, you know, they work on developing the knowledge and skill sets that a board needs. So sometimes you have a board and everyone's got all of that information and knowledge and background in spades before you start, and other people need to do that work um, when once people are elected. So it, it's just you have a slightly different approach and slightly different focus, but it is a, an inequity. In some cases, schools will choose to have a, a commissioner or a, someone from the ministry who, who will oversee the running of the board, and that sometimes is because there actually isn't any expertise within the community and it's a a way that the um, school can be better supported. But basically though if a a board of trustees is a little bit raw if you like there are the uh, support services there to make sure they won't be floundering. Absolutely and often uh, people who do come on onto a board you know for one term which is three years often they'll stay on and they they keep doing training and they become absolutely valuable board members over time and end up being on two or three boards in their local communities. The elections are something many people will have never taken part in even if they do have or have had school-aged children and that's because about a third of schools only have just enough or not enough candidates for the available seats. In that case, there's no election needed. Often principals will shoulder tap a likely candidate. Jonathan Moffat is the chair of the board at Broadgreen Intermediate School in Nelson. He's stepping down this year after a term and a half. I asked him how he got the job. It wasn't something I chose to do, actually. Um, my wife, Bridget, is a, um, a teacher, but also was on the board of our daughter's um, primary school. And she jokingly said to me that I would probably make a good board member. And I sort of left that off, as as you do. And then um, my eldest uh, daughter at the time was at Intermediate, and they had a um, a day trip up to uh, walk up Mount Robert in the Nelson Lakes. And the principal was um, going along as the trip, and I went along as a parent help. And we were walking up Mount Robert, and, and uh, Pete, the principal, sort of, caught up with me and said have you ever thought about being on the board we've got a a a vacancy and I think you'd be a great person to fill it and we chatted about that as we were walking up the mountain and um I kind of felt I couldn't really say no um so I said (laughs) yes part of the reason he vaguely knew my father-in-law who was a principal as well and um he knew that I had three children so that we'd, we'd be sticking through the intermediate system for quite a while as a, as a family. And it, it's quite a hard place to get parental engagement in the board as an intermediate because it's a, it's a, a two-year... Fleeting um, thing, isn't it? Uh, fleeting thing for a student. Uh, and a board term is three years. And it's quite hard to get that sort of um, longevity and, and sort of um, 
consistency when people are just dipping in and out. It's also an age where um, parents are backing off a bit from their children. You know, often parents are very involved at primary. And as the kids get older, they're less they less want their parents around. So it becomes a bit of an independence kind of time for children as well. So getting parental engagement at a board level is pretty hard. Yeah. So I kind of felt I couldn't say no. Yeah. So that was me onto the board. And what what skills did your wise wife identify in you that (laughs) were helpful? (laughs) Um, Well, I've been wondering that myself for about four years now. I think I'm, I'm generally I'm a pretty diplomatic person. I, I listen. I like to consider different approaches, different viewpoints and, and try to um, get things moving in a diplomatic way, sort of a bit of a solution focused approach. I also sort of I've married into a, a teaching family. So I have some knowledge of that sort of side of things from the the teacher's perspective of the board and I've worked up until recently worked in local government for oh, the best part of 20 years so I I have a, a knowledge of that sort of governance environment so yeah she she kind of just thought that with that combination of things I'd, I'd probably be a fairly level-headed person to be on the board. Yeah and the governance thing's interesting isn't it because that is yeah. essentially what a board of trustees does. Oh, it, it's completely what it does. Yeah, it's um, and I think that's it's not very well understood. And I think that's probably true of um, local government as well. When people stand for council, I don't think they necessarily know what that governance role is about. Jonathan was the board chair as the pandemic hit. That role has has really enabled me to see what the school does beyond education. Um, you know, as, as a parent, you think your kids are going to school just for their education and there's so much more involved um, to the point where a lot of the decisions and a lot of the discussions we actually have around the board meeting are more around social welfare. Has that become more of a thing since the pandemic? Uh, very much so, yeah. Here's Cherie Taylor-Patel again. With the pandemic, they their role expanded they had to learn really fast more about the community. They they needed to listen and to work out what is was needed to support the communities the best. Yeah, I guess like how many people had devices available and things like that. Well, all of that, that was the start of it. You know, how do we do home-based learning? What supports needed to in my community to make home-based learning work? So that was um, access to devices, connectivity, but in some uh, communities, it was actually, do our families have enough food? And uh, do I need to be helping uh, support the food bank to get food to families? So people took on a, a wide range of roles over the years um, of the pandemic, and they're still in those roles, supporting families in quite different ways and more extensively than they perhaps would have pre-COVID. So I guess in a way that as well as you, the board members offering something back to the school, that you do gain skills from your term on the board. Very much so, yeah. Um, I like to think that I'm a fairly educated, clever kind of a guy, but my eyes have been opened very much to some of the social, cultural diversity that I wasn't aware was quite so prevalent in, in the region in Nelson where I am. We have a member on our board who is Maori, and he has done a huge amount to help the board, who are generally white middle class people, 
see things with a different lens when it comes to our education system, to how um, students are learning, to where some of the gaps are for particular groups of students. One of our roles is to make sure that the school is is accessible to everyone, that education is accessible to everyone. And traditional sort of models of education are not working for some students. So how can we, as a school, address that? That's one of the things that we've been trying to do. And um, we've come a long way in a couple of years to do that. And we've still got a lot further to go, of course, but it's really rewarding. And um, yeah, I've, I've learned a lot. When people know you're a board member, do you get nobbled on the sideline of the kids' games <laughs> or the playground? Nobody's ever come to me in that kind of capacity. Um, if they do, I would direct them to the process, which is actually, a, you know, write to the board or come and see the board. Uh, board meetings are actually open to the public if public want to come and see them, unless we're discussing anything that's um, in confidence and we need to go into a confidential session. In my time on the board, nobody has ever come to a board meeting to see what we do to see what goes on so but it is an option that's available to people i mean if 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 people are considering going on the board go to a meeting see what they talk about do you think that's a lack of interest or do you think it's complete confidence that the board's doing the right job um i'd probably sadly say lack of interest and possibly even worse lack of understanding mm. um lack of awareness I, I imagine there are probably people who, who don't even know there is a board for their school and what it does and what it's there for. Does it worry you, this sort of Voices for Freedom infiltration, the Philip Arps case, the possibility that people with an agenda, be it anti-mask, anti-vaccine, anti-government, um, could be driven to put themselves forward for boards? Uh, yes, it does, actually. Um, it it concerns me hugely. I think one of the the weaknesses in our democratic processes around boards, and and I think this is true of local and probably central government processes as well, is that they're designed for people to act in good faith, um, that people would be standing for the board because they want to help improve the school, um, that they want to provide the best opportunities for all the students you know, who are currently at the school, who who may ever come to that school. And it really is about continuous improvement, continuous engagement, celebrating the diversity, celebrating the possibilities that each of these students can have. So to come in in bad faith with a view to disrupt, to um, create a negative atmosphere, to, um, it's, uh, it's just awful to me that, that, that people would, would choose to do that. Now, I I appreciate with the volume of mis and disinformation around, some of these people are thinking that they're doing this for the right reasons, but joining a board or council or whatever it is with an agenda, I think, is is getting off to the wrong start. There's also perhaps with with school boards a, a lack of awareness of what a board can do you know the the curriculum if we if we talk about cultural diversity say and teaching new zealand history curriculum uh, bringing uh, increased use of te reo maori into schools and and things like that the board doesn't get to set that the board doesn't get to choose to do that the board doesn't get to opt out of doing that so sitting on a board is not going to stop that that's uh, led through the ministry of education the board can help the school to do it better and help provide more resources to in- 
encourage those things, but they can't choose yes or no. So I think, again, it's that lack of awareness, lack of understanding of what a board can do and what it's there for is, is, a, is a real problem. And I guess if you do get someone who goes onto a board with the, the underlying aim of doing that, you've got a situation where one person's swimming against the stream and, and you know, it's quite, it could be quite distracting, I imagine. It, it would be. It would be very disruptive. Um, it would be a real handbrake on, on things because every meeting, every session that you're trying to, to move forward would have to have an amount of time dedicated to dealing with that disruption. It's also going to bring a, a negativity, um, a conflict and combativeness to board meetings that are meant to be discussions and, and diplomacy. And at our board, not everybody agrees with every decision, but we all agree that when the board makes a decision, that's the decision that we've made and, and we go ahead with. We don't sit and squabble over things, which I, I imagine that environment would be. And in, in the particular case with Philip Arps, as that's a college, there's a student rep on the board, and that could be a really damaging and intimidating forum for, that, for a student to go into. So we can talk to people, we can talk to our parents, get our parents to talk to people, talk to our siblings, they can spread the word, just let everyone know that they need to vote and they need to vote against this man. Is it time to review the legislation over school boards, given the, the ARPS case? I think it is timely. I think it's going to be interesting to see what comes through. I understand that the code of conduct has been strengthened uh, or is being strengthened. There's some talk about it possibly becoming mandatory that it's adopted by boards. There's a wondering about whether or not boards should sign something to say that they are going to abide by a code of conduct so that it protects everyone and makes sure that there's, a, I guess, an understanding that people are here for the right reasons. They're here to support the school community, the students, the staff, the principal, the whole school. And that where there are, if there are going to be issues and, and from time to time there are contentious issues that come through, that they will be worked through in a, in a manner that's respectful of everyone. But there will be a process of decision-making that's used that... Um, that people will abide by. And voting this year takes place between the 5th and the 23rd of this month. That's it for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The detail is public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Flo Wilson and produced by Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Jonathan Moffat and Cherie Taylor Patel. Matewa. Te